Hello and welcome to the Bread and Rice podcast. This is Sam. And this is Eric. And so we just wanted to inform everyone why we changed our name. We thought it was more of a fun and cute name to go along with this podcast. For those who don't know, I'm adopted by Caucasian parents and I was raised in a 99.99% Caucasian town. Hence the bread. Yep. So I grew up eating lots of bread and Eric grew up eating lots of rice. And so we thought it'd be (laughs) a fun way to incorporate maybe the both of the cultures that we bring to this podcast. And so today we would like to talk about finances and how it's kind of changed from our college years to our first jobs. And then, of course, through COVID times now. So we're going to start off with in college. So in my undergrad, I kept track of my money because I'd work in the summer to pay for my meals of eating out during the school year. Um, I loved eating out with my friends, and I felt like that's really how we bonded a lot. So I definitely kept track of um, how much I ate out, like what my groceries were, how much gas was, commuting to and from school. Um, I was pretty aware of my money most of the time in college. How about you, Eric? Do you have an allowance like when you're in college? Not like my dad gave me gas allowance because mm. I didn't live on campus, but that was it. Yeah. Yeah. I also enjoyed eating out with friends. Yeah. But I enjoyed it so much I didn't keep track of any of it. <laughs> <laughs> so uh yeah, I was fortunate to have parents that kind of funded my college escapades and uh you know, my I, my friends and I went to UCLA um, for my undergrad, so there's lots of good food out in that area in Westwood, and you know, within driving distance, you can get to Koreatown and all you can eat barbecues, and so you know, needless to say, we ate out a lot, and I had a job in college. I worked on the campus Taco Bell for like a quarter which (laughs) is like three months, Um, mostly so I could use that money to buy a motorcycle, which was something I'd always wanted to learn how to ride. And, you know, like my parents didn't know about it until after I had already bought it, but that's another (laughs) story. (laughs) So, yeah, uh, not a lot of control over finances and... So what what changed that? Well, you know, around the time I was going to graduate college, my dad actually passed away. And my sister and I both inherited some investment accounts that he'd sort of been holding on to for us. And it was kind of a wake-up call to figure out, like, oh, we have these accounts. We should probably figure out how to manage money and like what things to invest in. So um, my sister and I both started reading finance books. We would actually like buy the same book because we weren't living in the same place, but we would read them at the same time and then kind of discuss it over the phone. And um, I'm really thankful to her for kind of jumpstarting that for us. But um, one of the books that really shaped my philosophy on budgeting and investing was... Uh, Ramit Sethi's I Will Teach You to Be Rich. And um, he really 
tries to prioritize tax advantaged retirement accounts like Roth IRAs and 401ks. And then once you're able to put money into those, then you budget for necessary expenses like bills and utilities and you know housing. And then once all of that stuff's out of the way, then everything else is kind of guilt-free spending money. And um, I think I, I really like that philosophy because it's like if you're paying your bills and you're paying yourself first in terms of like retirement, then everything else should be, you know, free for you to spend. Because I, I think sometimes people feel like budgeting is like, oh, it's like so annoying. I just like feel so restricted. I can't like do anything. But it's like it really sets you free because once you know all your stuff is paid for, then all the rest of the money you can spend. So, yeah, without any guilt. Yeah. That's true. So, I mean, you were obviously a responsible one. So how did you become more responsible after college? I think after my undergrad, I went and taught English in Korea for a year. And so that was very interesting because that was the first time that my parents like couldn't bail me out because there is no way to send money very quickly from the U.S. to Korea. So I had to plan ahead and bring enough cash with me so I could open a bank account and like how much money I would need for food. And I thought it was just interesting to keep track of expenses in Korea because things just cost different. So like transportation to get anywhere was like a dollar. My favorite like breakfast was a kimbap, which was like a dollar. And my favorite like chicken place was like three dollars. So living a good life. Yeah. Fried chicken. (laughs) (laughs) Like going out to like drink and eat with friends for the night, like that was maybe like forty to fifty dollars. Like it was just always fun keeping track because things were so different. Um and then I didn't spend enough of my salary, so I just had a bunch of savings. I came back from Korea with fourteen thousand dollars saved up. And so during my time in Korea, I would talk with my friend who also had a bunch of money saved up from teaching English in Korea. Like, what are we going to do with it? Like, do we put it in stocks? Do we buy property? Like, what are the best ways? So that was another learning stone. Starting early on your real estate empire. Yeah. (laughs) Just playing Monopoly. Yeah, I think that's a good point to bring up about, like, how expenses can vary so much, like, depending on where you live. Yeah. Like, for me... I moved from California to Alabama for my first job where I was working at Hyundai and like my college friends, the, I had two roommates at the time of, you know, my senior year and we were living in this apartment within walking distance to UCLA and it was a one bedroom, um, tiny apartment that we were paying, I think, twenty one seventy a month for and then once I got to Alabama, I had this like huge one bedroom, probably twice the size, attached garage in a gated community, and that was like seven fifty a month. <laughs> and you know, making that starting engineer salary, it's just like also like being in a new place where you don't have friends all over the place that you can go out and spend money with allowed me to really prioritize like saving and adding to my retirement accounts Mm. yeah that's really good I think in the last maybe year or two we've started focusing more on the fire movement so do you want to talk about that 
Yeah. So for those who don't or haven't heard about it, it's FIRE is an acronym for Financial Independence Retire Early. And I think it was something that I kind of fell into after working a couple years, you know, being kind of dissatisfied with the work and looking for ways to live life maybe more meaningfully. Um, so it it's really an enticing kind of mentality where if you save up enough money um, and you let compound interest take its course and put this money into like um, good investment vehicles, then at some point you're going to have enough saved up where you can pull some of that out to cover your yearly expenses. And um, as long as you don't exceed 4% of your portfolio value, you should theoretically not run out for a very long time. And that's based on a, tri a Trinity study that's commonly cited for retirement planning where uh, financial researchers looked at portfolio performance over like a 30 year period and found out that as long as you don't exceed that 4% withdrawal rate, your money should outlast that 30 year period. And, you know, I, I think it's kind of exciting to think about because it's like, if you really prioritize saving and like minim, minimize, you know, your expenses and not try to like keep up with your Joneses, um, you can reach your uh, fire number and then you can work jobs because you want to and not because you have to. Yeah. So I think if, a couple of things to clear up. It's not like we're ungrateful that we have jobs or had jobs. Yeah. Right. We do like to work. <laughs> um, I think the other thing to clear up is that it's not that we become like super millionaires or billionaires. Like we have like endless money to spend. It's more like you live a frugal life and prioritize what you really want to. And then you have like enough money to spend, I think. For most people, the idea of fire is centered around the idea of having enough. So I, I think a lot of people sometimes chase like the higher salary or the higher position. And when you have more of an income, it's easy to also elevate your lifestyle. And I think one of the things that I really like about FIRE is it's, it's not about like elevating your lifestyle. It's defining like, these are the things that are important to you. And this is what we're willing to spend money on and to, to live like a good fulfilling life. And then as long as you have enough money to, um, to fund that kind of lifestyle, that's, that's all you need. You don't really need to be like a, a millionaire yeah so just keep living like we did in college is pretty much yeah i mean if you want to like eat ramen every day I mean, you do really like ramen <laughs> i do really like ramen we could eat ramen almost every day yeah but but i do think in these last couple of years we've learned that we like prioritizing time and like this choice of like being able to do whatever we want throughout the day Mm -hmm. So whether it's like whether we want to go volunteer or we want to work in our professions or if we just want to spend time with our families, I think that's what fire really opens up to me. Like I like having choices. It doesn't mean that I'm going to pick like the laziest choice yeah. out of all my choices. I think that's the thing that people kind of turn their noses up on. It's like, oh, 
so snobby. You're just going to like retire in your thirties and be unproductive. And it's like, no, like if you're financially independent, it doesn't mean you just like play video games all day and like do nothing. It, it just means you can take work that is more meaningful for you. That maybe doesn't pay you that six figure salary, but you know, you can do like social work or you can volunteer or you can do things that are important. Yeah, for sure. But I think kind of like piggybacking on that, like I kind of being in this COVID situation has really highlighted some things that I think are like important to us. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for just to give a bit of background, we both decided to quit our full-time jobs. Um, For me, it was kind of taking a break from work to support Samantha's mom and siblings um, with everything that's going on. And then helping her dad to fix up a house that he's been kind of working on and off on for quite a while. And, you know, overall just trying to reduce contact with others. And, um, you know, I, I realized that we're kind of in a privileged place where we're able to do that, um, having been saving for many years now. Um, but it was still kind of a, a mental shift for me, you know, to go from a salary to like nothing. And, (laughs) um, and kind of like finally touching some of the savings that we were building up. But I, I really think like being able to do that has really helped me to prioritize like what is important, you know, like, cause I think a lot of people were like, oh, you know, if you like take a gap year or whatever, it's like, it's going to be the end of your career. You're never going to be able to like go back or whatever, but it's like, ah, there's, there's more important things, I think. Yeah. I think for us, we definitely value like being able to support our families and whatever that looks like. So more background information is that both of my siblings are autistic and they had maybe about 12 caregivers before COVID came and then they were just down to one which was my mom and so after some that takes a huge toll you know on anybody to take up that much slack so yeah so then we decided that we would come and help and maybe we took up a little bit of that slack hopefully um and it, it looks better now since it's been now six months of covid life so i think what's interesting about this covid situation is that Combined, our salary was above a hundred thousand, and now our yearly gross salary is probably going to be about twenty thousand. So, yeah, <laughs> it's kind of interesting now. Like eating out, I think before I was like, oh, okay, that was like a twenty dollar meal. Like that's no big deal. No, it's and, working for like a half hour. Yeah, <laughs> no, I was like working like for a half an hour. Like it wasn't that big a deal. And now it's like, oh, that's two or three hours now. Like, do I really want that cheeseburger? Or like, can I just go make it at home for less? Yeah. And so that's been like a nice humbling reminder that $13 an hour is really like not enough. And the minimum wage minimum really should go up. Yeah. I mean, some people live on that. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I think it's good to remind yourself every now and then, like people do live on these salaries or the these wages and it helps you to kind of like realign your priorities in your life 
and be like, okay, so like, what is really important to us? Do we really need this thing or that thing, you know? Yeah, this is true. I think another interesting aspect of COVID is that we now pay for our health insurance, dental, and life insurance. And so now we pay $1,100 a month for those three things for the two of us. And before we probably spent maybe $100, minus about 100 a month for those three. And you did. Yeah. I, Your company paid for it. Yeah, my, my insurance it. was actually pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> So I think it was another affirmation that we support uh, universal health care and dental. Whoa, I'm just going to throw that out there. <laughs> <laughs> Political affiliation. <laughs> 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 but I do think it is it's crazy now to have to send a check for $600 a month. Oh, yeah. Health I and mean, dental. especially with like COVID happening. It's like, how can anybody like afford health care? Yeah. Like in this country, if you don't have insurance, let alone like. So I think sharing finances as a couple is pretty important. Our current way of spending, I think, is pretty new for us because of COVID from going from two salaries to one salary. And so now we both pay for everything because our, mon- our monies are combined, our accounts are combined. So for our fund money, I think we both tend to agree like on a price range. Like when we you were like trying to buy tools like for your workshop mm-hmm. yeah and then it's just kind of guilt-free spending from there i think the other rule that we have attached to fund money is a two-week rule so the item has to go on a list of basically it. if you want something wait two weeks and if you still want it after two weeks then you can buy it yeah <laughs> so i think that really cuts down on like impulse buying yeah, for sure. So I think that's just like a good way to save money. Um, I think another thing we do to budget is we limit eating out to once a week. Um, yeah, you know, I mean, it's definitely, you, you, you can start to separate like the nice to haves versus like, we really need this. Um, if you're willing to kind of look at your budget and think about like what's really important and considering that right now our priorities were to to be here to support her family um and there's not a whole lot to like go out and do anyway right now you know there there were things that we felt like we could cut back on yeah true what is like the one big point that you want taken away from this podcast compound interest is your friend (laughs) invest your money (laughs) yeah don't put it in a bank savings account you suck (laughs) (laughs) i mean all all joking aside i I think like when you're in your 20s and 30s this is like the best time to be saving uh, because as you get older the compound interest really helps to grow your your assets so i'm really glad that sam has been on the same page you know with with me for in terms of saving and probably more responsible than me for most of her life so um you know i i think that's something about our relationship that i really appreciate just 
you know, we're, we're usually on the same page for finances. Yeah. I think the big takeaway for me is don't be afraid to talk about finances because they are important. And if, like, you're not talking about it, you're not hashing it out with, like, your friends or your family or your partner, then I think bigger problems lie down the road. Yeah, it doesn't mean that, like, if you don't agree 100% with whoever you're dating that, like, all bets are off and, you know, you're, you go your separate ways. It just means maybe you guys need to realign your priorities or something. It doesn't mean people can't change. But I think if you don't get it out there until you're, like, married, then you know, it's going to be really hard to change habits. I think that was a pretty good second episode. Yeah. All right. It's fun. Yeah. Thanks for tuning in. Hopefully see you next week. Yeah. See you next time.